Welcome to the Real Education Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Bowles, and on this show, I interview remarkable people who think way outside the box in education. To listen to more episodes, learn more about my guests, or become a patron of this ad and sponsor-free show, visit blakebowles.com slash podcast. You can also email me at yours truly at blakebowles.com. Now, on to the show. My guests today are Amy and Maya Milstein, unschoolers from New York City, and Maddie Platt, an unschooler from Ontario, Canada. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the show is a little bit different. We have three guests instead of one. So I'll make sure to direct my questions appropriately. Uh, Amy, you are an unschooling parent, but you have not always been an unschooling parent. Uh, tell us the story of how your family started unschooling and why you made that decision. Uh, well, we knew we were going to homeschool our kids pretty much before we even had kids. Um, we had friends who were homeschoolers, and I was always impressed with how well their kids socialized with people of all ages and sizes and races, and that was the first thing that intrigued me about it. So we knew we were going to do that, and then uh, when my, my two kids, Maya's the older, and we have a son who's 11. So with Maya, we started off with kind of a loose curriculum of sorts, um, but it became clear pretty quickly that that was going to become this struggle because there were days where she didn't want to do the things that were laid out to do, and I had already figured out that, that our son wasn't going to learn that way. He, he's an oral learner, and he's much more likely to remember something if he's in the midst of doing something else while you're talking than sitting at a table. So when she was in about the second, officially second grade, we decided to ditch the curriculum altogether and just go with unschooling. Um, I was already familiar with Wendy Presnitz of Life Learning Magazine and Sandra Dodd and people like that. And so I'd read a lot about unschooling and it just seemed like a good thing to do. And I thought that if we needed to, we could always jump back into a curriculum if it ever you know, became apparent that we were lagging in some area or I felt like they needed more structure, but it never happened. Maya, what did this look like for you? You, you started unschooling pretty early. Uh, what have your, your interests been and how have they changed uh, as you've grown up? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What were my interests when I was little? Like, you, you know, you did a lot of kind of art, things like that. and Yeah, you did. And then videos really early. Oh, yeah. I, would, of- I made a lot of videos until I was like 12, maybe. And then I started using the camera for photography instead. Yeah. So, and I got into dance when I was 12, too. Yeah. But I would also say just more recently you decided this year to do a lot of classes that you would have never chosen to do in years past. Yeah. History and... Just academics. (laughs) Yeah, academic-oriented classes that she would have shied away from before this year she decided to do on her own. So That's, That's interesting. I think that's a moment that a lot of parents who think about unschooling sort of might anticipate they're like, when my kid finally decides to embrace academics on his or her own, because <laughs> um, somehow that will validate this in the, in the eyes of society. So, Maya, what, uh, what got you interested in academics and, and what kind of academics? 
Um, I don't know. All my friends went to high school this fall, which mm-hmm. is kind of sad. But then I thought maybe I should do academics since they all were. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I also kind of wanted to do it anyways, but like I just, it made me feel better about myself. <laughs> so just I, simple peer pressure. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I did. What did I do? I did physics, physics and, and math, math and history. And the Museum of Natural History lab class is also science. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And Maya, you didn't have a background. Uh, I'm assuming if you unschooled from a young age and uh, were not focused on academics up until that point, you must not have had um, a background in the way that your other peers who have gone through traditional school have had for physics and math and et cetera. So did, did you just completely fail in all of these attempts and are you <laughs> curl up into a ball and cry for days realizing, <laughs> no. realizing that unschooling has failed you? Is, was that your experience? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me what it was, what it was like jumping into academics, uh, not having that background. I don't know. It was hard, but I just caught on, I guess. It wasn't because I had for math, like a really good teacher who would just like sit with me and like explain everything that I didn't know because everyone else would, I would say, oh, I'm so bad at math. And they would say, oh, me too. But they didn't understand. Like I was worse than them. So, um, but he would like go through everything with me and um, other in history and stuff. I just didn't, I don't know. I just went along with it. I don't know. And who are these teachers that you're talking about? I don't know. Should I say their name? No, no, no. Uh, I'm just thinking as, as an unschooler, are, uh, where are you finding the teachers that you're working with for these academic subjects if you're not going to school? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we found the teachers for those classes through the New York City Homeschool Organization. Uh, they have you know, a monthly newsletter and also email listservs on which people will post classes. And the history class is taught by a woman who homeschools her daughter, but who is also a professor at Hunter College and is, you know, really a history buff and loves it. And so she offers these great classes. And um, the the guys that teach the physics and math, I, I think they're just teachers who've gotten connected with the homeschool community over the years and so they always offer these sort of groups of classes throughout the year. So it's all homeschoolers in the classes. So what you're saying is you can be an unschooler and you can still take regularly structured academic classes with professional teachers. Um, there's, there's not this contradiction but where you have to do everything on your own if you decide to, to call yourself an unschooler. No, not at all. And Maddie, you've done online courses too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Maddie, what does your education look like as an unschooler? Um, well, once I kind of got to like a high school age, I started taking um, just like some basic high school courses online, which were basically like the same ones that were being offered in school, but it was more on my own time and it was all online, so it was really flexible. So still being able to have that unschool type, you know, lifestyle, but also being able to take the classes, which is really cool. And you're from Canada. Maddie, are there any sort of different uh, rules or regulations? Do you have to do a certain amount of academic stuff or respond to tests 
uh, like required testing um, up there? Or can you do pretty much whatever you want? Uh, we can pretty much do whatever we want. Like it's not, it's not too difficult, not really any testing or anything crazy. And Maya and Amy, what's your situation in terms of uh, meeting homeschooling requirements for New York State? New York State is one of the stricter states as far as reporting goes. In fact, I think it may be the strictest. I'm not 100% sure about that. But uh, I have to do quarterly reports. I Every year I have to turn in a letter of intent to homeschool for both my kids. And we're fortunate in the city that our homeschooling office knows what unschooling is. So when we send them an individualized home instruction plan in the beginning of the year, we can say we are unschoolers, so we can't tell you exactly what we're going to be doing in advance. But as long as we send in detailed quarterly reports telling them what we did, they're fine with that because they know, they know about us as a group. Um, and then we have to do some testing. It's not nearly as extensive as the kids who are in schools but we have to do a standardized test every other year starting in the fourth grade and then every year for high school. Amy, how has your understanding uh, or your beliefs around unschooling, how have they evolved over the years from the beginning uh, until now? Uh, Just as a point of reference for listeners out there, you have a blog called Unschooling NYC, and you have a lot of really great posts up there uh, addressed just just these types of questions. But uh, tell us right now, uh, how has it changed? When we started, you know, I knew, like I said, I I knew a lot about it, having read a lot of articles and, you know, books from from Wendy and from Sandra and, you know, even John Holt and everybody that I could get my hands on. And that's Sandra Dodd? Sandra Dodd, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Who, I love her writing about unschooling. It's very clear and commonsensical. Um, so I knew a lot about it in theory, but of course, as we know, everything in practice is different than it is in theory. So I think that I still wasn't sure it would work. You know what I mean? I still thought that um, you know maybe Ben would never learn to read if I didn't teach him to read because I'd already Maya was already reading when we went into unschooling and. She was a pretty early reader, and I sort of thought that was because I was such a brilliant teacher. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But as it turns out, that wasn't it at all. Um, Her interests just sort of aligned with mine when she was that age, and Ben had absolutely no interest in reading and would run screaming from the room with his hands over his ears if he tried to teach him anything about reading. And so I was a little bit skeptical of things like that, but... People kept telling me, don't worry, you have books around the house and you read out loud to your kids and one day it'll just happen. And that is exactly what happened. One day, almost from one day to the next, he went from not really being able to read much at all to reading the um, Magic Treehouse chapter books. Maya's my witness that that really happened. (laughs) Maya? Did it actually happen, Maya? It did actually happen. Yeah, right. Yeah, at Barnes & Noble. It was astonishing. He he was complaining that he didn't like going there because he did, couldn't read anything. And Maya walked over to the Magic Treehouse books and said, Here, Ben, you should read this. I liked these. And those are, if you know them, they're chapter books. They're not picture books at all. And he sat down with it, and we kind of ignored him and walked off and did something else. 
And 20 minutes later, he was still sitting there. And I asked Maya if she thought he was really reading that book. <laughs> and she said, I don't think he'd still be sitting there if he wasn't. So I went over and asked him if he liked it. And he's like, yeah, it's really good. And he told me what was happening. And I just, I really, I still was in shock, even though everyone said that's what would happen. So I came to learn that kids really do pursue learning without someone, you know, feeding it to them. Or, or cajoling them. Right. Or telling them, you have to do this. Uh, and sometimes it's not in the ways that we think it should happen. And that, I think, is the biggest stumbling block for parents. Mm. So how did you explain unschooling to other people in the beginning? Has that changed also? It probably hasn't changed as much as our actual experience of it because mm -hmm. I will tell people that it's learning without a set curriculum and that it's more through life experiences and, and just following the kids' interests. And then through those interests, they cover various subjects depending on what they want to find out. And that's, that's pretty much how I think I've always described it. Mm -hmm. um, the application of it has changed just also because they've gotten older and, you know, I've been able to let go more. Sounds like Maya and Ben were both into computers from a pretty early age. Is, is that true? Yeah, uh, yeah, Ben more so. Of course, he had, you know, Maya was already using a computer when he was little, so he saw it at a younger age. But in different ways, but yes. Have you had any sort of family policy about screen time? Have you had any personal challenges with um, with uh, electronics and feeling like that is a, a good, either a good or a bad influence on on unschooling? Well, I will say this: that I think anybody who lives in our society has a hard time completely divorcing themselves from that idea that oh my gosh, you know, too much. Screen time mm -hmm. is bad because you hear that so often. So every now and then, you know, and still I'll have like a, a moment of, oh my God, you know, are we, is this too much? Um, I tend to call it school brain. It's when that, you know, kicks in and you start to think, but they're not doing all these other things that kids their age are doing. And, you know, then you have to sort of step back and take a look at you. I always tell people, look at your kids. Like, don't listen to what everyone else is saying. Look at how your kids are doing. And if they're doing great, then I wouldn't worry too much about the con, you know, about the particulars. Um, so I didn't worry about it with Maya. We didn't, she didn't do nearly as much. Ben has on occasion spent a whole lot of time and still does on his computer. And so for a while I thought, I wonder if this is bad, but there's just no evidence that it's bad. You know, he's, he's a really content, happy kid, and he learns a lot through what he does. So mm -hmm. kind of hard to argue with it. Mm -hmm. Maya and Maddie, what are your takes on uh, computers and media and screen time? Do you ever feel like you get sucked into it beyond uh, your own control? I mean, I feel like that sometimes. I think this is a problem we all, um, you know, face in different ways. Um, has your amount of of kind of electronic time ch changed over the years? Yes. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like I used to go on the computer so much. Like when I was younger, I would spend like the whole day sometimes just on my computer. I don't know what I was even doing. 
right now. <laughs> like, I don't remember. But, um, or I would just watch Netflix all day sometimes. Sometimes I still do that. But, <laughs> um, but after a few years ago, I was like, okay, I need to start doing some other stuff and not just going on the computer all day. And now I don't go on as much. So, also because I'm, like, out doing stuff. But, I don't know, I feel like I made, like, a big change in the past few years, and now I don't go on, like, that much. And just to clarify, this is Maddie speaking. No, this is Maya. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you very much. Um, Maya, where did that change come from? Did you – was it as simple as there's there's other interesting stuff happening right now, and so I'm not going to spend as much time on the computer? Um, well, and I'm not trying to pay an argument that spending a lot of time on your computer is necessarily a bad thing. I'm just curious what uh, where that shift came from. Well, it wasn't – at first, it wasn't. There was a bunch of other stuff going on. It was me wanting to find other things to do and not be on the computer all day. And then, I guess I just started doing other stuff. So now it's not like a problem to, that I have to like constantly be like, "Oh, what should I do instead of going on the computer?" Now it's just I don't really go on anyways. What about you, Maddie? Um, I find I kind of go through phases of being on it a lot and then not being on it at all. Just because of like the way my life is, it's like every day is so different. So there could be one day where I'm out all day, you know, like we're at museums, we're going on homeschool field trips, you know, like we're out doing crazy things or we're traveling. And then other days it'll be, you know, I'm home all day so I can lounge in my pajamas and go on my laptop all day if I want to. So it's kind of like in and out of things. But I think definitely there's times where I have to kind of stop myself and be like, you know, you should go outside, you should do something else because sometimes electronics totally just take over. I agree. I wanted to add, too, that I actually think that's one of the great things about not back to school camp. And and Maya's actually said now that she, after the first time she went, it was a little nerve-wracking, I have to say, to drop her off somewhere where, you know, cell service dies about two a mile out <laughs> from the camp. And there's really no connection at all. And But then this year, she was really looking forward to that, to not having that, and to be able to just put the phone away and, you know, it's not even an issue because it's not available as much, you know, just at the click of a button. So summer camps, campouts, uh, backpacking trips, any other opportunities to do something fun where you also happen to not have cell and data service is uh, can be... Helpful example of what life is like when you're not constantly connected. We'll talk about not back to school camp a lot in the in the last about 20 minutes of the episode. Uh, let's talk about New York City right now. And so these questions will be uh, for Amy and Maya. Um, what do you think? I'll, I'll start with you, Amy. What do you think are the advantages of unschooling in New York City? And what are some of the disadvantages compared to other friends you have who live in other non-urban places? Well, I think advantages are many, but of course, <laughs> we live here and we love it here, so that makes it easy to say that, but I really do. One of the big advantages, and this has become more apparent as the kids have gotten older, is that they can be independent at a much younger age. They, you know, kids start going on the subways here anywhere from age nine on, really, depending on the, on the individual, you know, kid and how comfortable they are. But they can get around the whole city on their own. So by the time they're 12, they can be fairly autonomous and get themselves to anything from classes to friends to you know, whatever they're, they're doing. So that's a huge advantage 
just because I think it feeds into a lot of what unschooling is about, which is, you know, being comfortable and confident in the world. And so when you can be your own, you know, get yourself places and not be reliant upon someone driving you in a car everywhere until you're 16, that's a real advantage. Um, and also just, you know, in New York, I have a friend, the friend who actually was homeschooling her kids before I had kids, said, you know, where else in the world can you sit and look at a book of Van Gogh paintings in the morning and then go to the museum and see them in the afternoon? And, you know, that's a great advantage here. We have access to so much stuff and not just museums, but, you know, any kind of class and anything that you're interested in, you can probably find it here. And it's within a subway ride or walking distance. So I think those are probably the two biggest advantages. Um, disadvantages. Well, if you're really into hiking <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, even horseback riding or, you know, you want to... horseback riding. Yeah, Maya actually did do horseback riding here, mm -hmm. so that's not completely accurate. But Cent uh, Central Park, Maya? <laughs> no. No, it was where was it? It was, it was uh in the Bronx. It was yeah. a riding stable in the Bronx. Um and we did have to drive there. So but uh so I think that, you know, if your if your focus is really on it's not that we don't have nature here, you know, we have red tailed hawks and, and bald eagles uh, in Riverside Park. But if you really want to do like hardcore like rock climbing or be out you know, camping in the woods and things like that. We're we're a little limited on that end of things. What about the perceived safety concern of a large urban area? Um, how do you mitigate that um, risk with uh, letting your kids uh, take public transportation, uh, walk around to the public library, um, or do you even think that it is a risk in the way that many people, um, you know, make an assumption about a large city? I honestly think it's not, I don't think it's any more of a risk here than it is anywhere. Um, you know, most people I find in the world are, are kind and generous and don't mean anyone any harm. And as long as you are aware of your surroundings and having grown up in the city, you know, my kids know what to look for and what to be aware of. I don't feel they're at any, any particular risk or greater risk than anyone else. Maya, what's your take on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. Have <laughs> you ever felt that risk out? Mm, not that I can remember. Yeah, I usually feel really safe walking around. There's never a time where I'm like, oh, like, what should I do? I, I, I don't know what to do, but I'm usually fine. And she's yeah. taken the subways to and from uh, play rehearsals late at night. Well, not yeah. to, but from up, you know, Inwood, which is the farthest northern part of Manhattan, you know, late at night back from rehearsals. and Or sometimes, like, at midnight, I'll come back from a show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, usually with a friend, but they're, all, they're both the same age. So, you know, um, and it's never been a problem. Great. Maya, how old were you the first time you took a subway by yourself? Um, I can't remember if I was 11 or 12. I think I was 12. I think you were just 12. I think I was, just, yeah, just 12 maybe. Was that exciting? Do you remember it? Um, 
I don't remember actually. I I remember like feeling like, oh, I, I'm I'm cool. Like, <laughs> but um, I didn't at the time have like a lot of opportunities to go places by myself. Like when we went on the subway, we were going to like the doctor or something. So it would be my whole family. Um, but yeah, I did go sometimes. So I don't remember either. Yeah, what the first time was. Maya, what are some things that you can do in New York City that your friends who live elsewhere, who don't live in a big city, um, can do easily? Uh, what, like, what are the real advantages of being a, a teenager in New York City who's also an unschooler? Um, well, basically what my mom said, which is like I can go anywhere by myself, basically, and I can meet up with my friends, and then, you know, we don't have to stay in that place. We can go anywhere from there, and it doesn't really matter because we can just get on the subway or walk or whatever and yeah um i don't know what else what's it like a <sighs> hear a classic new york city yeah. siren in the background there <laughs> so you're you're not uh, i don't know i think of a lot of suburban homeschooling and unschooling families and i think about yeah the teenagers who are they are reliant on their parents until about age 17 um to go anywhere and do anything and, and public transportation is difficult. Even bike riding can be difficult. So the, the transportation situation seems to provide this level of freedom that, that not many other people have. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I remember two, two summers ago or three summers ago when Maya realized when we were in Indiana visiting relatives that, that her cousin couldn't go anywhere without a ride. And it was when we picked up Amelia that day. And you said, wow, people here really can't do anything until they're 16. And, you know, it is a big difference. It's, it's a big thing. You could do, and they don't have to be, you know, like Maya said, sometimes her friends are out with her until 10, 11, sometimes midnight if they go to a show or something. Is there a robust unschooling community in New York City? Is are there a lot of other people to hang out with? Like you told us about the classes that are available. Yeah, they don't, most of them don't call themselves unschooled. They're more like homeschooled. They do, I don't know why, but so, so there's a few unschoolers, not that many. But um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a big community. Big homeschooling community. I would yeah. say most New York City homeschoolers fall into this sort of eclectic category where they don't sit down at a table, the very traditional homeschooling you know, model. They might they they do a lot of classes or they kind of pick and choose and do some things at home and but I think it's a little bit looser than people might think but they don't classify themselves as unschoolers either so it's kind of a a mix. I'd like to spend the rest of the episode talking about not back to school camp, which I know has had a big impact on on you, Maya, and also that's where you met Maddie two years ago. And um, it's had a big impact on me also. I started working there in 2006. I never went there as a camper. I was never an unschooler when I was younger. Um, but I think we'll have a lot to talk about. So, uh, Maya, can you tell me about the first time that you went to not back to school camp, uh, what you were expecting, and what, what it was actually like? Yeah, um, I was terrified because <laughs> I, I had never been away from home before. Um, for that long. I don't know if I even had been away from home before at all. You went with Meta to Atlantic City. That was it. Yeah. How old were you? I was 13. Okay. And um, yeah, I don't, 
I don't even know what I was expecting because I didn't really know what to expect. Um, but I ended up loving it, and there were I had a few really scary days. Like I would get really homesick, but it it was really good. So. So not back to school camp for those who don't know is the summer camp for teenage unschoolers run by Grace Llewellyn, who created the Teenage Liberation Handbook, and they have sessions in Oregon and in Vermont, and now also in Joshua Tree in Southern California. So Maya, you went to the Vermont session, which was, was that a nine day long session? Yeah, it was. Got it. And what stands out from that, that memory of that first session? Uh, when you think back, were there any specific people or events or workshops that happened that really represent that experience? Uh, I don't know. I think it was like everyone put together, like, no, like, I mean, obviously I met Manny there, but, um, everyone as like a whole was like just all the people there were so great. And I don't know, I can't pick out like one specific thing that like was so amazing, but yeah, basically all like just the people there. (laughs) The the people had, had you not met people like that before? Um, I don't know. I'd never met such like open, like, um, people that were, a lot of them were a lot older than me and that were so like, okay. So (laughs) I didn't realize before, like I went to camp that like I could be friends with people that were 17, even if I was 13, like they would be so nice to me. And I was like, wait, but you're so much older than me. Like, (laughs) (laughs) this is not how it's supposed to happen. The movies say you're supposed to pick on me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, yeah, they were so open and it was just cool that they were, everyone there was homeschooled and I don't, I've never been in like an experience like that before. Maddie, you're 16 now. How old were you the first time you went to not back to school camp? I was 14. At the same session in Vermont as Maya? Yep. Great. And what was your experience like and what were your expectations coming into it? Um, it was really scary cause I hadn't been away from home either. So it was like definitely this huge leap and in fact, it was out of the country for me too. So I was like so scared and I got there and I started to see everyone checking in and I was like so nervous and scared and I honestly just wanted to go home. I was like so terrified. Um, and then once I kind of settled in, like it took a few days to kind of get used to like camp culture, but once you do, it's like really cool. And I started making friends and going to workshops and, and doing stuff and it was definitely cool and I'm so glad that I went. Do you have any memories that really you know, define that first session of camp for you? Um, there's so many, it's so hard to like single them out. How about your second year at camp? So both Maya and Maddie, what was it like going back and being a return camper instead of a first timer? It was so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It was not like not as stressful. I knew what I was going into and a lot of people knew who I was already. So that made it less scary because my first year I didn't know anyone. And um, I don't know. I felt more comfortable. Definitely. I didn't get homesick. Um, yeah, it was just altogether better for the parents too. Let me just put that in. <laughs> the first year was pretty nerve wracking. I have to say dropping her off and like driving away as she knowing she didn't know anyone. Um, and so the second year we were like, okay, bye. Have a good time. <laughs> Everyone was much more relaxed. And what about you, Maddie? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that the second year was uh, much easier to go into just, you know, knowing people from camp already and 
being able to see them again and just kind of knowing what you're going into was definitely made it a lot easier the second year. After that second year experience, was there anything you wished that you had done differently in your first year as a camper? Definitely. I think I would just say talk to people. Like I was so nervous and I didn't really want to like go up to groups of people and like kind of just insert myself in their conversations, but really it's what you need to do. And chances are like, if there's anyone you want to talk to, they want to talk to you as well. So you just kind of have to like put yourself out there. But I mean, that's really hard to do when you don't know anyone. Also, you know, my experience of going to high school in a public high school in Southern California was that if you tried to do that, if you tried to walk up to a group of people and just say, Hey, my name is Blick. I'd love, I'd love to be friends with you. <laughs> I mean, Amy, you probably know also. Uh, yes. That's that's just sort of a recipe for total social disaster, like flaming wreckage. <laughs> yeah. so Which true. is something I've come to really love and appreciate about not back to school camp is that I think the primary thing that that most people take away from that camp experience is the culture mm-hmm. and the attitude of openness, inclusiveness, friendliness, while also being, you know, it's not totally like mushy, uh, new agey stuff either. They value uh, intellectual seriousness and curiosity. Um, They value having hard skills like being able to uh, teach swing dancing or swing fire poi. Um, (laughs) It's this great combination. That's been my experience, at least from the staffing um, end of things. Maya, did you have any takeaways from your second year? Anything that you wished you had done differently? Um, I agree. Like, I was so shy my first year, and I wish that I had been more talkative, I guess. But that, like, by the end of my first year, I was much more open and, like, outgoing because everyone would just talk to me, and I was just like, oh, okay. So, and then I realized that, you know, I could just talk to people there and it was fine. So, yeah. Maya and Maddie, what have each of you taken away from not back to school camp in terms of uh, how do you act or think differently now that you've had these experiences? Um, Maya, I'll I'll let you take a crack at that one first. Oh, no. (laughs) There's so many things. I don't know. Um, Definitely, like, confidence is, like, a big thing. Um, Just being more outgoing in general like before camp my first year like I wouldn't really talk to people that much and a lot of people like just in the homeschooling community here like didn't even know who I was (laughs) Um, because I wouldn't really like put myself out there at all and I definitely did that after camp and I don't know there's so many more things but (laughs) um, did you pick up any new interests or um kind of curiosities or passions through people that you met or activities that you attended at camp? Um, well, yeah, I started playing the ukulele, which because everyone there does that. <laughs> um, everyone, <laughs> I feel like everyone there was like, oh, we love the ukulele. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So then I was, so I started doing that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else. What about you, Maddie? Um, yeah, I think... Definitely. There were, um, like a lot of things that I was able to take away from not back to school camp. Like definitely like coming home, I was like more confident and I just felt like better about myself just being around people that are like so accepting and loving and just have like 
a great view on life. I definitely think that kind of rubbed off on me. And yeah. There's a sort of positivity that is contagious at that camp. Yeah, you like totally. Walk away with hope for life again. <laughs> yeah, and it's super noticeable even if you're not there because when we picked Maya up the first year, my mom was with us and she just couldn't get over it. She kept talking about it afterward, just the atmosphere at pickup with all of these kids of, you know, all these different ages and backgrounds and and how it was clearly this, you know, big group of people. There were no little cliques or, you know, anything like that. And and it was and so it's a really obvious atmosphere when you go in. And I'll just also say that, you know, both Joshua and I noticed a huge leap in confidence and independence with Maya after she went to camp. What did that look like back at home? What what were the signs? Uh, she just, you know, knew that she could do things. She she didn't hesitate any, like, you know, whether it's getting around in the city or, you know, thinking about planning longer, larger trips, even a little bit, you know, in the future. It just, there was just a different level of confidence in her approach. And, you know, since then, she's just recently went to visit another camp friend who lives in East Brunswick, New Jersey, and just, you know, went to Penn Station, found the train schedules, bought the ticket, took the train. I didn't go with her to the station. She, and she didn't even tell you she was going to do this. She just left. <laughs> she said, no. She took your credit card and she went said, for okay. it. No, she said, I'm going to visit my friend this weekend. Is that okay? And I said, yes. And that was the end of my involvement in the whole trip. <laughs> and this is Maya, age 14. Age 14, yeah. Yeah, great. And not something that many 14-year-olds would do so spontaneously and with such confidence yeah. is my assumption. I don't think so. I certainly wouldn't have at that age. Amy, what other um, events or influences have had similar significance in your kids' lives? It sounds like not back to school camp um, has been a big one. What else can you pinpoint as things you are so glad that you signed them up for? Oh, uh, well, I was going to say travel in general, but that's not really something I signed them up for. Um, and actually I didn't sign her up for camp. She was adamant about going. So. <laughs> so that wasn't really on me, but, um, in fact, that's kind of been the way it is. The things that have had the most influence are things that they choose to do, um, out, outside of just traveling to as many places and as much as we can manage, because I think that travel is one of the best learning experiences there is. Um, so I don't know about things that I've signed them up for. Because hmm. I don't really no, sign yeah. them up for anything. <laughs> yeah. So do you find yourself being more of an enabler of things that they bring to you yeah. than, a, than the primary suggester of new activities? Well, I will say that when a lot of the things come through on the email list, class opportunities, I'll, I'll shout out or forward or say, hey, look at this. Are you interested? That's sort of, you know... Or if I think it's something they might be interested, I'll say, look at this. this. You might like this. But a lot of times it's the other way around. They come to me with things and say, I want to do this. Um, and then we try to see if we can make it happen. Maya and Maddie, same question for you two. Have there been any comparable experiences to not back to school camp? Anything like uh, no, a, a camping trip or a specific teacher who you worked with or a a job that you had to, um, you had the opportunity to take 
Was there anything that's really been so uh, personally transformative as the not back to school camp experience? Honestly, I don't think there has really been anything that I could even compare to not back to school camp because it's so unique. Yeah, same. (laughs) But basically traveling places, like you said, not something that I just do at home like a teacher or class or something, but like going places and like seeing new things and yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about where you have traveled, Amy and Maya. Um, any big recent trips, um, either international or within the United States? Uh, where did we go last? Well, California was, but that was not back to school camp. So um, before that, where was we our went last? to Bermuda? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, and the the impetus for that was that Signe from not back to school camp was living. <laughs> so. <laughs> So it permeates everything. No, but uh, before that, we went, we've been to Germany um, to visit a good friend of mine who lives there. And that was last, we were there last year at this time. We were in Germany. And we've been to, yeah, the Bahamas. Yeah, Israel. uh, England. England. (laughs) Oh, a lot of places. Spain. Um, Spain, but the kids are really small. I'm not sure they remember that as much. Oh, yeah, Italy. That's right. We went to Italy and visited some friends who were living there for a few years. Um, Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Wow, Maya, you're you're good. I'm not remembering any of these. Yeah, good memory. Uh, well, and Amy, how um, how does your family make uh, all this travel possible? Um, what gives you the flexibility and the resources to make it happen? I'm I'm just wondering. I, I bet there's a number of parents out there asking themselves the same question. Right. Well. I flexibility is largely due to the fact that we're unschoolers and um, we don't so you know obviously we don't have to adhere to the to the school schedule and we actually try to go on trips when school is in session <laughs> because then it's usually cheaper and less crowded um, and I may it's a priority I mean basically that's what it is you know we we can't always go on as big or as long or as many trips as we'd like but I know some friends who spend as much on classes for their kids, and I don't spend any of that, and I spend the money on travel. So it, you know, it's a, and obviously you have to work within your budget. So if that means, you know, we, we stay at a friend's house instead of staying at a hotel or, you know, whatever it, it is to make it work, um, you know, there are lots of ways to travel fairly inexpensively. Um, we're going to do a a road trip this summer with my mom and we're going to take our car instead of, you know, renting a car, flying somewhere and just work it out that way. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's important for us. So we kind of prioritize it, but we also plan it well enough so that we can do it within our budget. I guess is the only answer I can give. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, your family is self-employed also. Yes. And of course that, that helps as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, last question about not back to school camp for Maya and Maddie. Are each of you going back to camp this next summer, 2015? Yes. We're going back. (laughs) You're hooked. You're lifers. (laughs) Pretty much. I'll be at one of the organ sessions, so I won't get to see you, but Uh, I'm sure Vermont's going to kick butt as it usually does. Yeah. And Joshua Tree was great too, I have to say. Oh, good. I do know. Because I off and picked you up. Oh, you know know it all. She's the mom. She knows more than you think. I know everything. (laughs) 
So last question is for you, Amy. Uh, you have your blog, Unschooling NYC, and you've been blogging actively for a couple of years now. Uh, what did you learn through this blogging process and what has been your intention throughout it? Uh, the intention was really just to let people know about unschooling because I feel like, and this is puts me a little at odds sometimes with the community here in New York for some reason more than some other places. Um, I feel like the more that people know about unschooling, the better it is for the community because, you know, if, if ever a lawmaker wanted to take away the right to unschool, let's say, and nobody knew what it was, they'd be less likely to, to dispute that. But if people know what it is, first of all, then they'll be able to say, oh, I know people who do that and they're really cool and why would you want to take that away? That's one of the reasons. And the other reason is just to let people know that it's a that it's a possibility for them because I used to think that anyone can do it, but I no longer think that. I really think there are some challenges that that aren't going to work with uh, an unschooling lifestyle. Um, I wish they would, and I wish I could figure out a way to overcome that. But I want as many people as possible to know that this is an option for them, uh, and that was kind of my main motivation. And I'd say the, the biggest challenge has been when I want to be critical <laughs> of something or someone. Uh, and, and I've learned that that usually isn't, isn't the best approach. And I try to, as po much as possible, be diplomatic. And I've a couple times upset people with my lack of diplomacy in one or two posts but <laughs> <laughs> overall it's been okay my guests today have been amy and maya milstein and maddie platt thank you three for being on the show thanks Blake. thank, thank you. you this is the real education podcast this show is produced with the assistance of Zen Zenith, who also created the music. For more episodes, visit blakebowles.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.